1: Monday night game seven edition our second game seven of these playoffs the home team Boston winning 115 105 over a game Washington Wizards squad that just ran out of gas by the end we'll get into all of that Kelly Olynyk's ridiculous performance of course as well we're sponsored today by Lyft although this is a new angle for people who like to drive for Lyft you can go to lyft.com slash cap today and get a $500 new driver bonus we'll tell you more about that later in the show and then by betterment go to betterment.com slash space to get up to six months of no fees at betterment.com so obviously linux was outstanding isaiah thomas was outstanding as well offensively we'll never know exactly how much of a factor this was but i felt that scott brooks either because he doesn't trust his bench because they played so badly or just because they happened to get down right as he was going to go to his bench he played wall and beal the entire second and a half and I thought that Wall in particular just completely ran out of gas and that and their inability to guard the stretch of the Boston Celtics was their undoing in this one.
2: You can notice fatigue on both ends of the floor but with Wall I noticed it more on the defensive end because oh, yeah. there were just plays where he, he just wasn't getting to the spot and that makes sense you know he, he worked a lot in this game and I, I'm, not, I'm not surprised that he got as tired as he did you can also see it from his shooting splits he was two of 13 in the entire second half and zero for 11 in the final 19 minutes
1: yeah and he was on his way to a great game he was eight out of 13 at one point in this game and just fell off late and i thought the most telling thing too was of those 11 shots seven were threes and that's not the john wall especially the john wall being guarded much of the time by isaiah thomas oh actually thomas was more on on beale as well he he had avery bradley on which of course was exhausted. But nonetheless, that's not that John Wally didn't get out in transition because of that first half, we saw the Wizards get fat, 10 fast break points as they surged into a halftime lead and just were not able to keep up that level. And, and Wall was just completely exhausted. And then by the end of the game, and he was just like that last uh, big Olenek three uh, that really kind of put the game out of reach with, with uh, about three, four minutes left. Wall was like, he hit a screen and then he just started walking. Like we, we talked about that. If you want to watch Dunked On Video, that's the last clip that we included in that. Uh, it's on my uh, YouTube station. I've been tweeting it out, obviously. But uh, that was like one of the things that we noticed is just over and over again that he just did not appear to have the energy on both ends, uh, but particularly defensively.
2: Well, we have plenty of praise to heap on the Celtics and we will do that in the very near future. I do want to mention that Bradley Beal had 24 points in the second half. He was, you know, defensively, there were some there were some issues, but offensively, I was impressed with how he was able to attack Isaiah Thomas. He had a couple big shots that brought them back into this game, including an and one. I think it was even a four point play where he was just, he was getting his spot he was doing a good job and for the first half he was a little bit of a ghost and considering how great he was in game six you're kind of thinking oh great seeing that Bradley Beal again but he really did bring it at the end of this game
1: yeah and and he was having to fight through the fatigue as well ended up 12 of 22 from the field five of 10 on three-pointers also got to the foul line for 10 attempts and he was able to rise up over Isaiah Thomas in the mid-range early in the third quarter was able to get to the rim hit some threes and then late in the fourth when the Wizards actually didn't get killed that badly in the fourth they only lost that quarter by four points and they scored. everyone's like oh they didn't score that well and they scored 26 points on 21 possessions in that quarter the defense was was the big problems uh beal was the guy keeping them going because of course wall was struggling so badly by that point and he was just doing a great job of getting off screens I me mean, at one point he went down to get a, a pin down from Gortat and he actually grabbed Kelly Olenek's jersey who was guarding Gortat and just used him to just change direction faster than Avery Bradley could and come off the screen and get open for a three I and mean, he was using all the tricks and you know certainly a, a legendary game seven performance for him in defeat with 38 points
2: easily the most surprising of the big performance in this game was not Bradley Beal it was Kelly Olinick Olinick had a huge overall game but the re- he is going to be a resonant factor when people discuss it is because 14 points in the fourth quarter alone five of six from the field two of three from three and also got to the line and throughout the game he was very good at finishing at the rim some of that is because he was beating generally the big man to the basket but he did a wonderful job not only as just like a a guy catching catching passes and throwing them in but on drives which was particularly impressive
1: yeah posting up on switches. as well he, he was quite effective I think we also have to give a, a lot of credit to Brad Stevens it seemed like every ATO like there is one I want to say when they had pulled within five after that Beal four-point play they ran a, a quick play just for a cross screen to get Marcus Smart a deep post up on Beal for a layup that really like stopped a Wizards run like that was a key play it seemed like every time out of a timeout he had a, a really nice play for them to run the uh, they ran the Warriors Cyclone play at the start of the fourth quarter. Order with Jalen Brown getting the back screen from Isaiah Thomas same thing the Warriors usually run with Steph Curry setting a back screen for Draymond Green and so Jalen Brown got like a sweet reverse dunk on that play it seemed like just when you can get out of timeouts easy buckets layups you know again they they were successful cutting to the basket as well and, and overall the Celtics shooting at the rim I mean this isn't a team that you say has a bunch of great finishers even Thomas for all his brilliance you know at this point in his career is a below average finisher gets there. He's a below average finisher in the NBA. But tonight the Celtics were incredible at the rim. They took 34 shots at the rim, which would have been an average that led the league. And they made 26 of them, 77% directly at the rim. And by contrast, they were three out of six in the paint non-restricted. So 34 shots right at the basket area. And a lot of those were wide, wide open plays. And that made up for the fact that they really struggled shooting from mid-range. Thomas and Avery Bradley and even uh Al Horford, one of the better mid-range shooters we've seen, has a big struggle to hit some of his pick and pop Jays, but then uh he was outstanding from the three-point line all series. He's Now shooting like 56% in the playoffs from three-point range and overall Boston 11 out of 26 from downtown and at one point there were 4 of 15, so they made 7 of their last 11 from downtown in that spectacular offensive second half.
2: And while the Wizards were okay on above the break threes, Eight of eighteen. You can see the big difference in terms of those easy buckets because they were fourteen out of twenty-five. So they actually attempted fewer shots in the restricted area than Boston made, and they did make and attempt more free throws. But that margin was only three. So you they didn't make up that margin in terms of free throws or threes.
1: Yeah, and that's where the Wizards really needed to kill them was because they were never going to out execute Boston in this series. They need to kill them in transition. They needed to kill them. In- In the post was superior size and athleticism they needed to pound them in the paint on the offensive glass and for them to be outscored so badly in the restricted area one of the big problems and not even really have much of an advantage at the foul line either that was really a huge issue uh, for washington in this one and they didn't force any turnovers either boston only had eight turnovers in this game and we saw and the wizards had 15 so we saw that when they were able to turn boston over get out on the fast break in games three and four that they were able to be really effective and they were not able to do that in this one
2: Another difference that it's hard to figure out exactly how to how to handle it is that Brad Stevens trusted his bench more but I believe that his bench is worth trusting more so you kind of have to take both sides of that coin Marcus Smart I thought did a good job overall he had a few little quirky moments but I thought he battled on the boards he was good defensively when the Wizards had to work so much harder when they had Smart and Bradley on Beal and Wall I thought that worked out well overall they were able to get offense from other parts of the floor Jalen Brown had some nice moments, and then of course Olinick. And by comparison, Washington's bench had five points in the competitive portion of the game.
1: It was a massive struggle for all involved. Boyan negative nineteen. He was one out of two. Uh, didn't. I mean, the biggest thing from that bench, they took a combined four shots. The entire bench, they were one out of four from the field, and Boyan had two free throws. That was. They didn't even like and you know, uh, consider the much lower number of minutes as well when you talk about that scoring disparity, that 45 to 5 scoring disparity, but... Jan Mahimi really struggled. Putting him in against the Linux was difficult. I know a lot of people were critical of that. But on the other hand, I don't think Gortat would have been any better. He showed that in the fourth. But I think Gortat is the better offensive player was needed more. I think he only played 33 minutes in a game where every other starter played 39 minutes or more. Gortat, I thought, should have played a little bit more. He did have three fouls, but his screening was just so incredibly important. There's nobody else on this Wizards team who's good enough to screen Marcus Smart or Avery Bradley and get them off of their guys, uh, Wall and Beal. And then Mahimi, you know, couldn't guard a Linux. He was committed a ton of fouls. He had four fouls in eleven minutes. So they went to Jason Smith at first with Mahimi, then Smith at center. And Smith basically, when he came in, immediately gave up two three pointers the first time. He and Wall miscommunicated about which way they were sending Thomas, and he got a three right at the top of the key. And then Thomas as Smith kind of hung back a little bit more, hit a a three over a decent contest, but not a great one. You know, not a tough situation for a limited guy like Jason Smith to be in. And you know, does Gortat do any? better there I don't know but it was that run I think they scored 17 to 2 and had three three pointers in a row right at the end of the third quarter to go up by 85 79 after the Wizards had led most of the third quarter and and most of the second quarter as well
2: something that I I still haven't seen a completely definitive answer on is just what happened with Kelly Oubre he played the last six seconds of the sec of the first half and then never appeared in the rest of the game
1: yeah I think they felt they just wanted to go either with more starters or because they felt their bench wasn't that good and Ubre had scored well at times but also always had some really bad plus minuses I don't know if that was necessarily his fault Jennings only played six minutes as well you might have thought hey if we're just getting so lit up right now defensively that maybe we just need to switch more and let's go with Ubre, play Markeef at center and just find some kind of a way to stop themselves because they tried i mean they tried trapping isaiah thomas uh he would either dime up Linux or al horford and those guys would make a play or just hit the open shot uh they tried to trap him a couple of times and he just dribbled around it for laps he, they went under or you know had the big hang back and thomas hit a three on him so they just had no way of dealing with it and if they did switch sometimes they got Linux into the post and he, and he was able to go to work or he was able to drive past a close out a lot of times to uh, against their slower bigs uh but i'll you know a lot of it, while those were some pretty good shots for Boston, some of it was, was a little lucky too, like Marcus Smart, two of two on three-pointers. One of them was like contested and pretty miserable. and smart. I and mean, this has got to be like basically the most efficient game of his career to have 13, 13 points on nine shooting possessions is actually like amazing for him. Uh, so it, part of it was just, you know, good Boston shooting down the end. But I mean, Boston was getting great shots in the first half, too from three and just, you know, not hitting them. So it was pretty remarkable there that the Wizards just couldn't come up with a way to stop them. And that is, was always a problem with this team, right? I mean, they had some moments in this series when they were able to turn Boston over and be really aggressive. But in large part, they just gave up like too many easy looks, both from three and then just right at the basket to be close to playing championship level defense in this series
2: and boston was also able to through particularly through turnovers they were able to stop enough wizards possessions that even if they were being reasonably efficient as they were at moments in this series they just couldn't get enough of it and also they had bench units and a lot of the other things but i think we should talk a little bit more about al horford because i thought horford was well, hold
1: on but first we should talk a little bit about lyft actually
2: we can absolutely we, do that
1: we, we get there lyft is a fine company that i actually have been using since 2013 when I was uh, introduced to them by a buddy of mine. But this is my first chance to tell everyone about the opportunity to drive for Lyft. Lyft is a ride-sharing company that believes in treating its people better. You can tell that, number one, because in my experience, Lyft drivers seem happier and and are nicer. And also, tipping is allowed in the app, which uh, other ride-sharing companies that you drive for do not do. And the cool thing about Lyft is you can pick your own hours and you can work when you want. Lyft can make driving a great way to earn money and there are a few things that make it more convenient for drivers as well they have something called express pay when anytime you've earned fifty dollars with lyft you can cash it out lyft also has a vetting process that's a little bit more intensive but that's good because people who order a lyft can know that they'll be safe with you in the car the point is to give people a better fleet of drivers and you can be a part of that It's basically a three-step process if you want to get started with them. Number one, you do a background check, and then you'll normally do a vehicle check and also a discussion with a mentor, another Lyft driver in the area who you can get advice from, get a good idea of how to get started. And usually that process will take only about a week. So if you have a purchase that you need to make, you can do it in as little as one week. To start off the process with an application, less than 15 minutes to do that. People from all walks of life drive, fur, lift parents who need to buy their children braces if you have unexpected medical bills, if you just want to work for the summer, if you're trying to save for a trip, if you only have a couple of free hours a day and there's no job that's going to hire you to do that, but now Lyft, you can make some money with that free time that you have. So once again, the way to get started with Lyft, lyft.com slash capspace, that's a URL, and you can get a $500 new driver bonus at lyft.com slash capspace. Once again, that's lyft.com, lyf slash capspace space limited time only terms apply all right so you want to get to al horford's performance Danny.
2: yeah i thought he did a really nice job both as a scorer but just as an overall cog in the offense the thomas horford pick and rolls were a challenge even if they ended up going with plenty of thomas Olinick later they Celtics scored 126 points per hundred possessions when he was on the floor that was third best on the team of guys who played you know over 20 minutes behind Olinick and smart who played a lot together and the versatility his versatility offensively i think opens up a lot for the celtics and i i couldn't stop myself from thinking about how that versatility would have helped out the wizards had he made a different decision in july
1: yeah well now i i think with boston going to the eastern conference finals you know maybe the wizards would have been there as well but boston still has a lot more flexibility to add to the team you know going into al horford sunset years as well and they'll only look like a more attractive free agent destination now and could look even more attractive after tomorrow's lottery, which we'll preview a little bit actually later on in the program. For the Wizards, it can't be lost that this is a very successful season. I think their bench can be better next year just with more health from Mahimi. I mean, he, he had such a hard matchup. He was coming back from being out a long period of time. He started playing well late in the season and then he had that calf injury, which was a big setback hopefully they can get a little bit more at backup point guard. I mean, Beal, a guy who's always played well in the playoffs, for him to have this performance and just to play so much better this season, Otto Porter had a breakout. They got a nice game from Marquise Morris in this one with 18 points, and he looked to finally be somewhat healed from that ankle injury that derailed him at the start, and maybe they win this series in game one or game two if he doesn't sprain that ankle. You know, they could very easily be in the conference finals but that disappointment should not overshadow what was an excellent wizard season and with porter presumably returning wall beal those guys are, are all young enough to get better even markeith morris is in his mid-20s so it's possible he could take a step forward kelly oubre coming off the bench maybe can be better also it certainly looks like this team, if they can stay healthy, which they did this year, they usually, other than Mahimi, everyone was healthy, which, you know, you can't count on from this team every year. But they look poised to be at least a top four seed in the East for the foreseeable future.
2: They finished the regular season ninth in net rating, fourth in the East, so appropriate for their seeding. And they're starting and, Oh, and, and one more
1: thing too. Th- their defense can, I think, can very easily get better th- than it's been. And yeah, that's kind of lower hanging fruit.
2: I think we both expected their defense to be a little bit better this year than it was and their their talent can get there, especially if they have more Yamahimi. I think one of the big culprits was that their second unit defense was really bad. And Washington yeah. has an advantage on a lot of teams that they have a very good starting five already and they're all under contract. So unless they decide to make a move, decide to make a trade, they can have that continuity advantage early in next season. I don't think we're going to see as much turnover for 17-18 as we did this past season, but that could yeah. be an advantage for them. And I just, I, I like a lot of what they're doing they also don't have much in terms of real post prime players they have guys like markeith that you know maybe you're not expecting them to get better but i don't think he's going to get that much worse and if they if they can maintain the health of their starting lineup i think they're one of the four best teams in the east and they could get jumped but there really aren't that many teams that seem like they're nipping at their heels maybe the bucks are the most prominent but outside of that i mean i think that it's it's going to be a little bit hard for somebody else to really really rise up quickly
1: gortat is my one concern for next year as well we'll get to their offseason preview probably later this week or, or early next week i would imagine uh and if mahimi can't fill in for him you know may, maybe that could be a concern he's 32 and you know he, he doesn't really get injured very often but he made it through an entire year of, of playing big big minutes especially when mahimi was out well i guess uh the next thing we got to do here is uh prediction time for the eastern conference finals
2: yeah i mean considering how much stuff is going on tomorrow i think we probably want or today for as most people listen to this i think it is good to to do predictions for that series my heart is saying cleveland in four but i'm gonna go cleveland in five
1: which game are the celtics gonna win
2: <laughs> i think they'll win one I mean, of the like, two like i'm boston. not
1: holding you to that prediction i'm just no, saying no like, i know i, I think like they'll the win one of the two in boston it, yeah.
2: I, yeah, I don't like picking sweeps especially not in a late round just because the idea of variance you know cleveland is better than boston but you now, you know, Kyrie has a bad game or LeBron, you know, tweaks his ankle and has to sit out for five minutes. You know, it's the margin, the margin is there, but I don't think it's impermeable. I thought we got a good example of that. While wow, The difference between the Warriors and the Spurs is much smaller than the Cavs and the Celtics. I think that's there. The other thing that I think is strange about this series is having a favorite who could very well sweep, who is the lower seed in a series is something that like, I think is going to be weird for us to calibrate. Cause if Cleveland wins the first two, there's a lot less drama and games games three and four than there was let's say in the Toronto series
1: yeah that's a good point too uh which is good though uh, to, uh, actually Danny I I actually will disagree with you there there's no possible way there could be less drama than games three and four of that Toronto series <laughs> like it's literally would be impossible I think
2: so does that mean you're picking four?
1: <laughs> oh man yeah with, I, I think with Cleveland having had the layoff Boston playing at home they don't really have much in the way of injury concerns I do think that Boston can score We're on this Cavs team pretty well and that maybe just the vagaries of three-point shooting can give Boston a chance but yeah obviously if Boston doesn't win one of the first two then they're getting swept so they I mean I think in some ways you can say that this has a greater chance of being a sweep than most series when the road team is the favorite because then they can just close out in games three and four at home when it's just completely hopeless for uh the home team although even the Hawks in this same situation in 2015 did manage to take a game three into overtime and that I think was without al horford as well but it's and without kyle korver in that series Gotta say though, Boston did not really impress me in this wizard series. I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the sweep. I'm doing it, especially because you know I have to catch up.
2: <laughs> well, you did get an exacta uh, on the Celtics series because that—that's true. You I did, did. Yeah,
1: I had I had Celtics in seven. You had Wizards in six. uh you your wearing all black didn't work out to give you the the Wizards victory, as it did not for me wearing all black in uh in Game <laughs> Six. That's true. How did nobody wear all black to this game? Like, shouldn't they both have been wearing all that, black? That's like, why
2: I wore black. I wore black because I'm like somebody losing and i i didn't know who it was going to be i wasn't i wasn't necessarily rooting for my prediction i because i mean both teams have worn black in, in silly fashions during the series but you do do you want to do a little bit on the lottery i can at least run down the order for people
1: why don't we wait on that a second let's do uh today's news first and then okay. we can get to the lottery a- after that uh let's start of course with the other series in the west Kawhi leonard said yesterday he didn't think it was a dirty play by Petrulia. he also ha- had not seen the replay at that point. Greg Popovich, though, did not necessarily see it in similar fashion. Here is what he had to say. There's actually going to be two answers, but I'm just going to play it in full because it's uh rather interesting on a number of levels. Here you go.
0: Come on, man. How much more difficult is it? How would it be if Curry didn't play? How much more difficult would that be? I'm not a happy camp, but that's a silly question. A two-step lead with your foot closeout is not appropriate. It's dangerous. It's unsportsmanlike. It's just not what anybody does to anybody else and this particular individual has a history with that kind of action. You can go back and look in Dallas games where he got a flagrant two for Elbow and Patty Mills, the play where he took Kawhi down and locked his arm in Dallas and could have broken his arm. Ask David West, his current teammate, how things went when Jaja was playing for Dallas and he and David got into it. And then think about the history he's had and what that means to a team, what happened last night. A totally unnatural closeout that the league has outlawed years ago and pays great attention to it. And Kawhi's now there. And you want to know how we feel about it. You want to know if that lessens our chances or not. We're playing very possibly the best team in the league. You know, we don't know what's going to happen in the East. And 9.75 people out of 10 would figure the Warriors will beat the Spurs. Well, we've had a pretty damn good season. We've played fairly well in the playoffs. I think we're getting better. And we're up 23 points in the third quarter against Golden State. And Kawhi goes down like that. And you want to know if our chances are less. And you want to know how we feel. That's how we feel. Follow does that pretty much cover it? Okay, thank you. Do you, you expect the league to do anything? Because when you do those press conferences in Washington, they always say, I got one more question. I got a second, second question.
1: you expect the league
0: to do anything? I don't care what the league does. I'm just telling you how I feel. The league is the league. They do what they do. I could care less. Did you express home- No, I didn't call the league. Why would I do that? They looked at the play. If they do something, they do something. If they don't, they don't. All I care about is Kawhi's not there. And, you know, having your horses is important at this point in the, in the, in the deal. And when you're playing Golden, state in their place and you're playing like that, it's pretty cool. And if he would have played and they'd have ended up winning, i go get dinner, have a glass of wine, wake up the next day, go to practice, and move on. But this is crap. And because he's got this history, it can't just be, oh, it was inadvertent. He, did, he didn't have intent. Who gives a damn about what his intent was? You ever hear a manslaughter? You still go to jail, I think, when you're texting and you end up killing somebody, but you might not have intended to do that. All I care is what I saw. All I care about is what I what happened. And the history there exacerbates the whole situation and makes me very, very angry. But I'm still open to follow-ups. <laughs> <laughs> a basketball player should have a responsibility for the safety of the other nine individuals on the floor. Nobody wants to do anything that would put anybody else in danger for a game or a career. This guy's history is different. Is this a situation where you're also considering Kawhi's long-term
1: future when you decide whether he plays or not?
0: That's why we, that's why we sat him uh in the Houston series, because we weren't sure, we weren't sure, you know, what this injury was, and we did the same thing with Tim Duncan early in his career in the Phoenix series. He could have played in that playoff, and I sat him because he had a great future ahead of him. So. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see what the MRI says. But, you know, obviously he won't play tomorrow.
1: So I said it was interesting on a number of levels. I happen to agree with him. It was an unnatural closeout. That second slide that he took. I mean, usually you jump and you land. You don't land and then take another slide. Uh, and I thought the the little like, oh, I'm going to kind of look back at the rim. It was, it was reckless. And I thought it was a reasonable argument to say, hey, you know, at some point, it doesn't really matter what the intent is if you do something like that. And also uh, the stuff about Zazas, reputation i think is certainly reasonable commentary of course david west and draymond green like weren't going there when they got asked about it uh because pop of course mentioned west on the other hand though pop his let's just say his views on this have evolved since he coached bruce bowen
2: It gets complicated with this, and I agree with Popovich that I agree with him a lot of what he said, but I think the the idea of focusing on intent is just misguided because it's an argument that has no point. You're you're never going to be able to prove anything. This isn't, you know, this isn't a trial. Not going to be able to do it that way. If you could, yeah, that would be a big deal, but pretty much never going to unless the player admits it, which they won't, especially now. Mm -hmm. However, the idea of of a player, I'm more sympathetic to a guy like Zaza having a closeout in in this kind of clunky Why, fashion Why because he's
1: just like a Yeah he's just a big oaf
2: Yeah exactly You know like I, I, I'm i far from seven feet But I can imagine that If my job was not Typically closing out on shooters I mean he doesn't even really Close out on shooters Just in any sort of normal fashion That it's more likely to do this However I still side a lot With the recklessness Part of this argument I think that's the most persuasive Of all of these things oh. It's just
1: as bad as it was When like Del Vidovo was doing Stuff like this
2: Exactly so. Yeah I mean And that's, that's the comparison that i've made a couple and, and I of times thought that,
1: i thought that play actually was worse because delvedova at least he had like a legitimate purpose of like all right i'm going for the ball here on some of these plays uh, where and whereas Pachulia, i mean there's just like that last slide just has no basketball purpose like it really doesn't uh and even if you want to say he didn't know he was doing it or he's reckless or something uh, rather than intentional uh I mean you know I don't think he's thinking oh yeah I'm gonna like injure this guy who just got injured it's you know I'm gonna put a little something extra on like that's that's how he plays he plays on that edge and he's great at some of the dark arts around rebounding he's one of the best rebounders in the league especially considering his incredibly limited athleticism he's been in the league now for I think this is his 15th season I want to say like just something crazy like that 14th season as someone who's very very limited athletically you know he did that because that that's how he plays and sometimes when you play that way uh, you're going to injure other players and you know I don't think you need to cross that line uh I guess that's all we'll have on that and the news is that Kawhi unlikely to play in game two Andre Iguodala, who had a little bit of a concerning knee injury when you consider the fact that he basically wasn't able to improve this knee over the course of six days of rest apparently he's questionable for game two an MRI came back clean for him sounds like reading between the lines so this is probably tendonitis in his left knee which he's had Periodically, If Kawhi is going to be out for this game, they're going to go up 2-0. I don't think they need Iguodala to win this series, but they might need him in the next series. Uh, I still don't think they need him. I, mean, I think they'd still be favored, but nonetheless, like, he is their best option on LeBron James. So certainly certainly some concern. It makes so much sense for these guys to not play in game two. I mean, less so for the Spurs because he's their best player on their town already. But when you have this huge break until Saturday to hope that uh, those two guys can recover, and I certainly hope we see them both back on the floor. Uh, what else we got? Newswise, here, Danny.
2: Something you and I have been tracking more probably than most, because of the way it affects revenue, is that is the jersey ads. And so, the USA Today and Jeff Zilget reported that the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to use Goodyear for their logo, and they're going to make uh, the, it'll, the cost is going to be ten million a year. So, I believe that is more also than the original preliminary estimate for jersey sales.
1: Yeah, the well, it's interesting. The original preliminary estimate was three million per team, and nobody has gotten less than that so far. I think the least anyone has gotten is like the Kings for like. Like from blue Diamond almonds for like four million or something like that but then there was also talk that the Warriors were trying to get 20 million and it doesn't appear that that's going to happen with the Cavs getting 10 and the celtics only getting eight although there was some reporting indicating that maybe they're getting like some equipment from ge as well uh and the Nets got got eight as well that's a, a major market team it's surprising to me that the Cavs got less considering who they're going to be in the finals every year I mean to me I would want to be on that you know it's the teams that would be on net national tv that I have the most but i don't know how long these deals are for so maybe this deal with the cavs goes longer than lebron james is going to be there and certainly if the cavs didn't work good you know that's probably an extra 6 million bucks a year that they're getting i have no problem with the jersey sales go ahead and make more money interesting to note though that even with this projected influx of cash and who knows how much because these sponsorships haven't happened yet it may be that they're not quite priced into what the cap is going to be for uh 2018-19 that's the first year that this money will kick into the cap analysis so maybe we'll see the cap go up more than is expected but perhaps not uh it's really too early to say that at this point because it could also just be that the cap is higher this year because teams didn't spend enough last year and so the revenue's got to kind of catch up to the cap in some ways as well uh we also have uh some news actually almost really non-news out of new orleans is reported by the advocate
2: well it is news because it's news that you have to say that you're retaining your coach and your gm the new orleans pelicans will keep Dell demps and alvin gentry in their respective positions for the 2017-18 season well at least to start the season
1: a tendency to do nothing or to remain unchanged you know what that what word that is the definition for
2: inertia right
1: that is correct <laughs> and part of the rationale as was uh talked about by scott kushner was that demarcus cousins has had so much turmoil i remember he can be a free agent they feel like they need to re-sign him they do not have the advantage of the designated player veteran extension because once he got traded he was no longer eligible for that so the idea is to give him some more stability demps saved his job with the cousins trade and i thought you know that was a pretty good trade so that that makes sense gentry perhaps there's less justification for keeping him again though it's this idea of stability he's dealt with all this instability and gentry at least is a good piece guy he's someone who demarcus isn't gonna hate you know no, everybody really likes alvin so there's that aspect of it at least so this makes more sense when you really dig into it but it's also kind of funny how they're just like yeah you know we're just gonna take uh a month after the season and then yeah you know whatever we'll just keep him around fine
2: i think you're gonna hate this but it feels like the pelicans are putting the inert in inertia because they're just <laughs> well i mean their offense is good so i guess they're not inoffensive but I, it's such as it, th- the point about cousins i find particularly fascinating because if it doesn't work, let's say they think Gentry is not doing a good job or the Pelicans disappoint next year, which is entirely possible. But Cousins likes him and Cousins is a free agent, then can you fire Gentry? Or are you just kind of trapped?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that, but it, it's it also saves them money. Gentry has, you know, one more deal one more year left on that three or nine million dollar deal he signed in the offseason in 2015. A Couple more things to get to Phil Jackson again saying that Carmelo should waive his no trade clause to go to a contender. He says that the Knicks, quote, are not going to be there as far as being a contender, but that maybe they could make the playoffs next year at best. And I applaud Phil for his candor. Still got to be a little disappointing to some Knicks fans, but he's right about that. If they make the playoffs next year, that would be successful, assuming they don't mortgage even more of the farm to do that. But I mean, at this point, Carmelo's probably just saying, hey, you know, like you should waive me. And I'm starting to think, Danny, that maybe a a buyout is the most realistic option here especially at a point where nobody w- wait to do it until nobody has any cap space anymore that they could claim him and you know maybe Carmelo takes 50 cents on the dollar doesn't include his player option in that and then gets to go wherever he wants because there aren't really any logical trades and he could be a big piece because if he's still getting paid by the knicks then he he could go somewhere else for a lot cheaper potentially but i'm not predicting that but i think it makes that seems like a something that makes more sense to both sides than a trade does at this point because Carmelo isn't going to waive his no-trade clause to go anywhere for a team that's going to want him. He's thirty-three already, you know. I'm not sure how good he even is anymore, and and he makes a lot more sense to a contender if he's not making you know thirty million a year this year.
2: Though that also does have the downside of, well, I mean, the downside is a matter of opinion of lowering his his cap hold and then you lose bird rights as well so depending on the team i mean you get into the issues that darren williams had a little bit with dallas but you know i think that worked out reasonably well for both sides
1: tyler ulis it will be out 12 weeks after ankle surgery unclear when this manifested he did have an ankle sprain i think in march uh, and not really any explanation on what the surgery was but 12 weeks sounds pretty severe that means he's going to miss summer league almost certainly but you know presumably he's going to be their backup point guard next year uh, they still have Brandon Knight on the roster. You would have to imagine they will do their best to trade. And, and I do think that, now with Knight three years left on that contract that if I were another team I might start thinking about him a little bit but we'll see if you know Phoenix is probably not going to be in much of a free agent derby this year so what good does it do them to just clear off the space but if he's not going to play for them you know it really seems like a very odd thing I mean we sure are quite far removed from Earl Watson talking up Brandon Knight as a sixth man candidate at the start of the year that's for sure
2: just a little bit and speaking of sixth man candidates Milos Teodosic there there was kind of a, a mix of reporting in terms of what, what's going to happen with him, but David Picks said that per uh, Sacramento executive, the Kings are not in the race to sign the Serbian point guard who has been a standout in international play and of course in, in European league play for years.
1: Yeah, not much else to add to that, really. I will talk about the lottery, but first this from our friends at Betterment. When I first left law school, I wasn't really sure of the best way to save for retirement or my other financial goals and I wish Betterment had been around at that time because I really could have done a much better job of it at the time. More than 150,000 customers choose Betterment's advanced advice algorithms and beautiful user interface to manage over 4 billion of their dollars. The idea here is automated investing. It's built on smarter, cutting-edge technology to bring you sophisticated investing and financial advice all at a lower cost than more traditional financial services they have a, a service called smart deposit again something that i could have used back in the day that every time the amount in your checking account gets above a preset limit it'll just automatically invest that money for you or the tax impact preview that shows you what the tax impact of any moves you might make with your money would be so what do you get started with them betterment.com slash cap space That'll get you up to six months of no fees. So learn how again at Betterment.com Capspace. Betterment, investing made better. Well, Danny, it is lottery time tomorrow. I know that you are absolutely foaming at the mouth to discuss the lottery odds. And this lottery is one of the more interesting ones we've had. And I hope, I think we're going to get something more interesting. I mean, obviously, this would be gambler's fallacy to say this, but nonetheless, I will anyway. Last year was basically chalk. This year, I I hope we just have like crazy fireworks because that would screw up a lot of things.
2: You also wouldn't need big fireworks to make big effects. And that'll be something... I want to go through this 14 to 1 that you'll kind of start yeah. seeing as I get towards the end of this is that the ripple effects of certain things could be absolutely massive. And so there are some outlandish possibilities that are really fun, but the more the more fun stuff is or the more interesting stuff is actually later, which is unusual for the lottery, but it's because of some of the pick projection stuff and the picks that are owed. So, I'll get it going at 14. Miami is has the has the worst lottery odds, followed by Denver Detroit and Charlotte and so all of those teams are have a less than three percent chance of being in the top three and a less than one percent chance of getting the number one pick the first one that's really interesting is New Orleans so New Orleans traded that pick as a part of the DeMarcus Cousins deal that and Buddy Heald were the principals in it because they fell all because they fell or won all the way to 10th they only have a four percent chance of keeping that pick because it is top three protected but Sacramento is theoretically not getting as good of a pick nine is the Dallas Mavericks you know kind of six percent top three about two percent number one and then the next crazy one though it looks less likely is Sacramento so Sacramento they if if the pick is 10th or better they keep it if it's 11th or worse it could only be 11th it would go to Chicago to complete the Omri Caspi trade with the Cavs which then was traded to Chicago and for well dang a lifetime ago so that's one part of their situation the second part is if Sacramento's pick ends up better than Philadelphia's, Sacramento swaps with Philadelphia as a part of the cap space trade at the beginning of the twenty fifteen offseason. So yeah.
1: Well that- well if you thank God thank God at least this is the last consequence they'll have to deal with of that trade though. <laughs> Finally it's all over.
2: Oh man. Yeah, for those of you who haven't read it, I wrote a whole piece before we knew definitively, which we do know now, about the weird pick protection of the, of the other pick that's in that trade, which is now a 20, it's 2019, correct? Yeah, 2019 unprotected first round pick that the Kings now owe the Sixers.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, now you know they kept their superstar. They're really on the way up. Like, I think they'll be really good in 2019. So it won't really be a problem that they, they owe their pick unprotected that year.
2: Sometime during the off season, we should do the remaining trade asset not not like like singular asset ones because we you and I argue about this a lot I think it would be an interesting like at least segment on a show but let's keep moving seventh is the New York Knicks this is where the odds get a lot better partially because the Knicks and the and the Timberwolves are actually tied they tied in record which means that they combine their odds and then the Timberwolves won the tiebreaker so that only matters if neither team jumps in because obviously the top three controls the order there so both Minnesota and New York have an 18.3% chance of being in the top three 5.3 percent of getting the number one overall pick and if the if neither one makes it minnesota gets that spot and then you start getting into the the real high rollers of this the high rollers of the low rollers
1: well so let's go back to remember the last day of the season that no one was watching the most entertaining game was that ridiculous philly new york game philly lost uh to end up ahead of orlando by a game uh new york of course won and that tied them with minnesota and then they lost the the coin flip with minnesota so that New York could have been 6 by their lonesome and then instead uh they are now 7th uh and Minnesota congratulations to Tom Thibodeau and his crew for losing 6 straight and getting above all these teams like Dallas, Sacramento and New York, maybe even New Orleans uh to uh get all the way up to the 6th pick they were not in that position for a lot of the year.
2: And that affects of course their odds of getting into the top 3, but it's also very valuable just in terms of the guys that are available at 6 are usually better than available at 9 or 10. But then Orlando is is fifth by their lonesome by virtue of their win on the last day of the season, which was also in a crazy game. That was over Detroit from what yeah, I remember. And they were
1: playing their starters too. Like the Knicks you can't blame them because they're playing just like scrub city. You know, it was like Ron Baker hitting all these shots at the end of that game. And Philly was trying to tank their asses off too. Orlando was playing like Aaron Gordon and Alfred Payton down the end of that game that they won against Detroit at home. Uh, so good job there, Frank Vogel. And then Philly actually went one in nine over their last 10, lost eight straight to keep themselves ahead of Orlando and get the, the number four lottery slot on their own.
2: And so the the reward of that is that Orlando has a 29.1% chance of top three, 8.8% of number one. Philly has an 11.9% chance of number one, so 3% better, and then 37.8% of getting into the top three, which is the about about 8% actually 8, 8.7% better than Orlando. So that's pretty significant. I mean, it's still it's like 10%, but that that's still a lot. And then you start to get into where things are really crazy. So third third spot by virtue of winning a bunch of games late in the season, the L.A. Lakers jumped Phoenix in terms of records. So that put them in the third odds, which means that they have a 46.9% chance of top three pick, which is what they need to do in order to keep that pick. Because otherwise, not only does that pick go to Philadelphia to complete the Steve Nash trade, which is amazing, goes in a bunch of different directions tying back to Phoenix, but it also means that they have to convey their 2019 first round pick to Orlando, which otherwise becomes a second round pick because they acquired Dwight after they acquired Steve Nash. And because of the seven-year rule, they couldn't give away another first-round pick.
1: Yeah, the Lakers won five straight games, I believe, uh, to give themselves now only a 47% chance of being in the top three, as opposed to a 56% chance uh, had they been uh, the two, quote-unquote, seed. And then, of course, Boston has the best odds, 25% chance at the first overall pick. The lowest they can fall is for 64% chance of the top three. So their most likely outcome is four but uh still pretty decent chance of getting in the into the top three
2: and so there are a couple of things that are just immense about it one is of course the possibility that the lakers lose their pick but also the prospect of a couple of high-end teams or at least high ceiling teams having potential to get really high picks boston you know, they're they're in the conference finals now they could end up getting the number one pick or or trading that pick you know they could do whatever they want with it philadelphia showed some signs this year they have you know a bunch of other assets they have a gob of cap space they could get up there. They could have two, they could pick one and four. You never know. And then the other one that sticks out to me is Minnesota because Minnesota has Wiggins and Towns, two number one overall picks. They have, that looks like they're a team on the rise. If they could get, it would probably be a point guard that high. If they can get into the top three, they could have another piece that would be cost controlled for a while as they make their way into the upper echelons. And of course, some of the other ridiculous ones like Sacramento losing their pick or some of the other stuff would be crazy. I don't think we're going to see of that but the top five is going to hold plenty of intrigue anyway
1: what is your what is the outcome that you will be rooting for for the number one pick
2: i would be thrilled if either minnesota or philly got it those are the two that other than the outright chaos of sacramento losing their pick because three teams nine or below went into the top three which would just be like if, if all of a sudden we're watching that and all of a sudden like the 11 envelope is the kings i'm just gonna die like i'm just gonna be dead other than that i think minnesota or, and philly or, or or what if what if
1: sacramento gets up to number one Philly. And then has to give the pick to Philly. To like six. Yeah well yeah in in that
2: circumstance in that circumstance you there's another way that philly could actually get one four would be if they got one four because sacramento got one
1: yeah i am uh i'm rooting for the boston celtics to get it because i just think that makes the offseason just so incredibly interesting i mean go back to like the last time a team this good had that high of a draft pick you know you'd have to go back to like the lakers in the early uh the early 80s i think so it's uh or or Detroit getting number two in, in 2003 i mean it's it's been a long time to just make our off-season previews and all that stuff and, and and just the off-season in general like so incredibly interesting uh there's and a and reason have i a haven't team, written yeah. about
2: boston for si yet and that is because i haven't even started it because it's just there's oh, no. so much in the air with this no i mean they that...
1: like boston will probably be like one of the last teams that we do i think for for our previews uh, all right are we done here well, oh, no, I'll promo no, that
2: I'll promo that my my offseason preview of the Clippers came out on Monday that was a fun one to do there's just there were just so many wrinkles to it and I actually included my I guess my recommendation is included in there which we talked about on dunked on when we did the preview and I have more that are submitted but I don't know which ones are going up which is always kind of fun and then I'm probably going to do one or two special for them basically tomorrow night after we find out what happens in the lottery and those will come out on wednesday
1: awesome uh, some of our other endeavors uh, dunked on video we did one for that big celtics run that's always fun if you missed the twitter nba show or you want to learn out more what it's about we actually sync up our twitter nba show commentary to the highlights of the game also, just the Twitter NBA show in general. Every game the rest of the way, except for Golden State home games, we will be doing it. And uh, viewership is increasing. We love that. Uh, our Patreon account, we're actually going to be doing a our first Patreon-exclusive podcast a mailbag danny is going to post that uh, pretty soon so if you are a patreon subscriber or you want to be you can go in there ask a question the questions will be exclusively for patreon subscribers and the podcast itself will be exclusively for patreon subscribers as well patreon.com slash duncan larue and that's enough plugs talk to you all next time Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem says uh, you did it You stumped this charming devil